And welcome back, guys, to another exciting podcast. And today we are talking about Cricket Talk back again, recapping the matches that happened weeks ago between India and New Zealand and also the Ashes' first match. So listen in. Today, guys, we have our cricket expert back. His name is Glenn. So give it up, Glenn. How are you doing, bro? Good to be here, Ra. Great to be back on the uh, on the Cricket Talk, getting into another episode. Yeah, man. Like, uh, we've got a few things to catch up on, but, um, like, it's always good to be back on cricket, talking about cricket. I know a lot of people love cricket, especially in that subcontinent era. Uh, so let's get right into it. All right, let's do the first match, man. Uh, India versus New Zealand. The second test match. I just want to say this. Guys, I am absolutely wrong about pretty much everything. I was wrong about Cam Williamson getting 100. I was wrong about Neil Wagner being the difference because they didn't even play. That's the, that's, that was the problem. They didn't play and our batsmen didn't adjust. But first and foremost, let, let me give it up to Glenn. What did you think about the uh, test match, the second test match between India and New Zealand? I mean, it was what we were saying in the first one with the, with the key of the spinners. Um, it definitely held true. For sure. We had Ajaz Patel for New Zealand, only the third man to take all 10 wickets. Like we were saying in the first one, um, the spinners needed to step up and Ajaz, I mean, you can't step up any more than that, can you? But the New Zealand, uh, the Indian spinners, they they killed New Zealand's batting lineup with Ashwin, as, as much as I dislike him, he he rips straight through the lineup and they've got They've got many, many spinning all-rounders um, in that team and they New Zealand batsmen just didn't have anything for them, unfortunately, and just got cleaned up. No, exactly, man. That's exactly what happened. And you called it, it's the spinners, you called it, India, India won by 372 runs, by the way. Um, they declared in their second innings. But uh, yeah, AJS Patel, what a performance. You called it. Spinners have to do their jobs and... Like you said, there's nothing else, you know, AJS could have done because he did it all himself, really. It's just a shame yeah. that our other spinners didn't really step up. But I guess welcome to first-class cricket. Welcome to international cricket, really. Uh, compared to India spinners, the Indian spinners are just first-class, world-class, you know, and they just rip yeah. through New Zealand's lineup. Even though it hurts me so much, that first innings was pathetic. The no batsmans came out there, you know, pretty much with intent, you know. Uh, they got to, they had to do something different, but that'll work out like that. Go for it, man. So, uh, the, um, the big thing I saw was just the relentless pressure from India. They had, for a lot of the game, at least when I was watching, especially in that first innings, they had, they had men around the bat. They had very clean, consistent spin going from both ends. And just that relentless pressure, I think. Um, and they were, New Zealand were already in the midst of a bit of a batting collapse. And they've got had pressure at both ends. I didn't see how they were going to make it out of that, unfortunately. And that, that Indian pitch was exactly as we were kind of talking in the last episode. It was spinning and it was spinning viciously. Yeah, that's, that's what we have to say on that one Um this, the deck wasn't suited to Jameson. Wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't Jameson's game, unfortunately. And Ajaz did as much as he could, but um, Somerville, the um, the other New Zealand spin, I just found him a little bit inconsistent. Was just giving up too much free, um, too many free balls, and India was just 
taking advantage. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, man. It was, yeah, it's incredible, really. It's just, um, there's no words to say it. I'm saying I'm a lot, but yeah, I'm speechless, really. Just the way that India dominated us all throughout that match and we had no chance. We had absolutely no chance against them. And also, I guess it helped that India got their captain back. Uh, Virat Kohli came back into the side. And you just see the difference in captaincy too. He was aggressive right from the start. Like, oh, he was so aggressive. And he, he was a huge difference. Like, his captaincy is just, it says it all, really, compared to uh, Tom Latham's captaincy. And, you know, it's just, it's difficult, man, when you get a world-class captain like Virat coming back in and just it boosted them up like they had another they were, they felt it felt like india was 10 feet tall when they had their captain back and it felt like new zealand was the opposite losing their captain and they just 10 feet under 100 percent. i even think on that game i'm not i'm surprised i'm not surprised that um that new zealand didn't lose by an innings in that one coley um historically doesn't like the follow-on but I could have seen it happening if he made um, New Zealand's batsmen follow on that they they wouldn't have been able to make, I think, the 280 or roughly whatever it was to to get themselves in front of the runs. Yeah, I'm I'm shocked honestly that they didn't lose by an innings, which is which is tough to say when New Zealand is as quality of a test side as they are. Yeah, I agree. And that's exactly what I was going to say to you. Like Virat should he uh, actually did a follow-on. You know, um, considering New Zealand got out for 62 runs only in the first inning. You know, he could have actually followed it on. But like you said, Virat's not well known for his, uh, he doesn't really like follow-ons. And he likes to pretty much put the game in doubt, really. So there was only two options, either a loss or, or a win for New Zealand. Like pretty much back to win it. That's it. That, that was the only option. I have to give props to Daryl Mitchell in the second innings. At least he came out with intent. Like that guy, he got 60 runs, uh, 92 balls, 60 runs. But like he came out there and just started going after those spinners. And it worked, you know, it worked until he uh, hit a, a few too many and finally got out. That's what I was looking for, really. Even Henry Nichols with 44 runs, you know. Yeah, the, looks, the positive yeah. batting for sure. That's what you need in, in India. You can't be um you can't be intimidated by the fact that by India in India, like as we were saying in the last one, India is a colossus in, in India. Incredibly tough to beat. And I think the only way it ever gets done is by going out and playing with intent. You can't be scared of the fact that the ball's moving. Um, you can't be scared of the pressure. You have to go out and bat aggressively. And you have to be able to bat for a long time. And yeah, there was some positive stuff in the second innings, but I think the game was already, it was long gone by then. I think 570 is what they needed to, to chase down, which 570 is an immense score anywhere. Doesn't matter where you're playing, 570 is a very tough score to get. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just before the uh, match started, uh, I saw Tom Latham come out and I just knew that Cam Williamson wasn't playing in this match. Also, uh, Kane has an elbow injury. He's been having it for a while now. Uh, a lot of people said he should just go under the knife and get surgery, but apparently he doesn't need surgery. Just you could tell that that elbow has been annoying him. He's not the same Kane Williamson as everyone knows at the moment. Any last words for the uh, Indian-New Zealand match? I think we've um, I think we've pretty well summed it up. It was just, it was pretty brutal to watch. It was. 
It was. Very brutal. Yeah, congratulations to India. It just shows that, you know, if it's your home ground, you're definitely the favourite and India proved in a second test match, you know, they, they proved that they are formidable at home and they defended home, home ground. So congrats to them. We'll just have to wait and see uh, what's, what's the future ahead. New Zealand, I think they'll be heading back home and playing back at home, which they are formidable at home as well. So we'll have to wait and see. Until then, the Black Caps will be yeah at home when we uh, do another podcast for them. Yeah, Let's, definitely. Yeah. Talk more positive, hopefully, about the Black Caps on the next one. Yeah, 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 for sure, man. And I, I, I'm hopeful for it. So, uh, yeah, it should be good. And I think everyone should be on deck by then as well. So it should be good. So let's move on, bro. We're moving all the way from India to Australia to a place called Brisbane. And we're going straight to the Gabba for the first test of the Ashes between Australia and England. Australia won by nine wickets. Man, what did you think about that match, uh, Glenn? Man. Tell me about it. Tell, tell us in the audience about it. What a, what a great test match. Um, in my opinion, obviously as a biased opinion being, um, being an Australian fan, um, Mitchell Stark, that first ball, vicious, vicious swing, took the stumps out. I remember I was, I was watching the game and I was just, I was cheering. Absolutely insane. Our bowlers, they all worked as a unit and just cleaned up that English lineup. My biggest, my biggest thought on this one is why would England bat first? That just to me seemed like an like a mistake, as we saw. The Gabba wicket is known to be very swinging. It moves a lot, it bounces a lot. And in the later days, it it tends to quicken up, but the um the shape comes off the ball a little bit. It gets a bit harder quicker but it doesn't move as much so my I was dumbfounded to be honest that England elected to bat first and as we saw it was a massive mistake Starkey on that first ball yeah took him straight out what did what did you think about that batting first yeah I was actually surprised that Joe Root decided to bat first considering he won the toss that's the greenest I ever seen that pitch as well like that that pitch was pretty green and yeah. also it was overcast as well. It wasn't like it was beaming with sun. It was overcast and England has a few swing bowlers. Uh, man, yeah, I was actually quite surprised in that call. And uh, it proved right because Mitchell Stark, he had a chip on his shoulder. I'm telling you that right now, man. He had a chip on his shoulder. He came out and proved that to everyone that he's still test worthy, you know, and he's still part of that quartet with the Australian bowlers. That guy came in steaming in at a 140 plus Ks. And then that, oh, it was a, to a left-hander, it was a beautiful swing. Uh, to a left-hander, it's actually an outswinger, isn't it? But man, the mere fact that he was going, uh, it was going towards league side and all of a sudden it was a late swing. First ball as well. How would you feel? That, that would have sucked for Burns to come out yeah. there. To come out there and then Rory Burns, I don't think he's ever versed Mitchell Stark. I'm not too sure, but geez, on a, especially in an Australian pitch, what that was beautiful. What a start to just start the whole whole match. Like you could see that he was so pumped after he got that wicket because it was a pretty much in your face to the media and and to media people saying that he should have been dropped for this match or she should be dropped out of the Ashes. It's just ludicrous. Like, I could never think of Mitchell Stark being dropped. Um, yeah. And he proved it. And he proved it. Um, but like you said, it's the bowling. 
the whole bowling unit just just as just as I thought, just superb. You know, that's why Australia in their own conditions, the Australians are just excellent at using knowing what to do in their own conditions. It's it was crazy to watch. And um, yeah, they just steamrolled England in that first innings, easily steamrolled them. And Pat Cummings with a Fifer as well. And I, I have to admit, you know, we were, uh, I was doubting that guy being as captain as well, but it showed that actually it, it could potentially work, you know? I thought the pressure of like coming in, you know, when to inject himself and stuff like that, but he was so smart with his injections, like different bowlers for different people, and it worked, 100% it worked. Uh, what did you think yeah. of Pat Cummings' uh, Pat Cummings' uh, captaincy, man? Especially since you're an Australian. I was definitely, um, definitely eating my words a little bit on that one, especially after he came out with that Pfeiffer. I, I, I doubted him for sure. As, as I was saying in the last podcast, I didn't think that a, a bowler was an appropriate selection for a, um, for a captain, but he proved me wrong. He came out, got a Pfeiffer in that first innings. And as you were saying, he injected himself perfectly, I think. It was, it was clinical, that, um, that first innings. They, the combination between Paddy bowling himself correctly and then also bowling Stark and Hazelwood appropriately as well. He, he proved me wrong in that first one. Obviously, we, my doubts are still kind of there. We've got to, we'll have the next test in Adelaide. And I think that's going to be a very very interesting one considering it's a day night test and how he manages manages star stark and hazelwood with even with this question marks i think hazelwood could be could be injured for the next one and see what he does with that he, he did well he did his job um i think underratedly so i think steve smith had a big impact on um on that one as well he um I think so. He did, as as we were kind of saying, he was controlling a lot of the fielding positions and he was a big, big part of of the strategy. And I remember um, I remember the rain delay at the end of the first one, seeing Paddy Cummins and Steve Smith just sitting down, just planning out the next lot. And I think that combination is going to work. It's going to work in the long term for sure. I think so too. I 100% agree with you. It was, uh, you could see Steve Smith's uh, import throughout that whole match and I can't believe it but that combination is going to work tremendously I reckon because uh, you got the help of Steve Smith who was the former captain himself so he knows he, he knows what to do and Pat Cummings coming in and when he when he has to bowl you know Steve Smith was is probably deciding you know, like the um the other other areas that uh, Pat Cummings needs so it's awesome to watch now in the first inning so let's move on to the first innings of the batting with uh, Australia, man, England had David Warner and then, you know, just a, a simple no ball, which cost them, really. They could have had Warner early, but no, they didn't. And Warner went on to 94. We've seen it time and time again. When a bowler makes a mistake like that, the bat batsman usually punishes them and gets a good score. So he was on 94. Lubbershay comes out as well with 74. Man, just the Gabba and Lubbershay together, it's just amazing to watch. But the biggest one for me was Travis Head coming out and getting 152. How did you see the Australian batting lineup and what, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I can see Cameron Green got a duck as well, which is, you know, for this. Mitchell Stark, 35 at the tail end. It's always good. You know, uh, tail end, they're always getting uh, runs. But uh, yeah, man, tell, tell us about it. 
how you saw about the uh, how Australia batted. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, they they had Warner um, cheaply early, but mistakes. I think mistakes is what um, is what categorizes that um, that first innings for Australia. Mistakes on on the English side. I'm referring to. They had opportunities against all of the guys that got big scores. They had Warner on a no ball. I think Labuschagne was dropped in the field. Um, That's right. Travis Head, I believe, was also probably dropped as well. It was mistake after mistake, and they were made to pay. David Warner, I think, was unlucky not to get 100. Um, he was well on the way to Labuschagne. We all love Labuschagne here on this podcast. He, he did what we know he can do. He knows, knows the Gabba wicket, and he put on a great innings. Cameron Green, I think... And as we were saying in the last podcast, I think he's going to be a real key going into the future. And it was just just a bit of a brain fart, I think, to be honest, um, getting out on that duck. It was, it was a shame because I think he could have made some serious runs as well. Travis Head proved all the doubters wrong. Even myself, I had, I had some doubts about him. But to go out and score 152, he in particular made, um, made Leach pay um, England's spinner. I think he went for something like seven or eight and over, which in test cricket is not unheard of, but it's it's a pretty poor performance, if you ask me. Considering, um, considering you only had 13 overs as well. Yeah, to go yeah. for 100 runs is insane. Yeah, that innings from Australia was very, very impressive. And Travis Head, I mean, what more can we say? We had Cameron Green and... Um, we had Smith go early. We had Labuschagne go before that. And it looked like we could have had a collapse going on there. But Travis had steadied the ship. And as you were saying before, definitely a shout out to Mitchell Stark. That 35, he really, he really let Head go at his work, go at his work, score the runs. And he was just a solid, um, a solid backup on the other side. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to do too much. He was just batting appropriately for the situation and Marcus Harris um getting out cheaply early I think I'm gonna say I'll probably still leave him there for the for the next test but we've got the likes of Usman Kawaja sitting in the um sitting in the back not on the field as much as Usman's not really an opener um if Marcus Harris fails to make any runs I could see him getting swapped out for the third test, for sure. They've got Mitch Marsh, as much as Mitch Marsh has got many, many, many question marks on his head in the um, in the test position. He went out and scored 100 on 60 balls in the BBL um, last night or maybe the night before. I think if Marcus Harris doesn't up his game, he's going to find himself out of the team. Have you got any thoughts on that? I agree with you, man, because Australia has the luxury of depth and... Marcus Harris, only three runs in the first innings, getting out cheaply. Can't afford that in this side, you know. Steve Smith getting out at 12. That's all right, because Steve Smith proved himself. He's proven himself. He's one of the top four batsmen in the world. That's the difference between Marcus Harris and Steve Smith. Steve Smith can get out cheaply. It's all good, because you know what he brings to the table. You don't get him out early, he's going big. But uh, for Marcus Harris... Like to me, uh, like you said, there's depth. Yeah, he's he's got to perform in the next. If he's stolen the team by next uh, match, by the next match, 
he's got to perform or he could be on a chopping block for sure. Do you have any um any thoughts on Warner? Um, because I know Warner's looking injured, injured at the moment. Would you would you still play him even with the injury concerns? Would you still risk putting him back in, considering Broad and Anderson are looking to come back for this next one? And and it's a day and night test too. The one yeah. thing about those two guys, about England's bowlers, which they will come back, they both can swing the ball. And Dave Warner's known for somebody to get out cheaply when the ball's swinging too. Uh, so for me, especially if he's not 100%, why risk him? Because he, if he gets injured again, he could potentially be out for the series. I think it's time to maybe get him out, get like a Usman back, let, let Usman and Marcus battle it out. Whoever, whoever gets the most runs is in uh, who's, who will be partner in the third match with David Warner. You know, that's how I see it, that you should have a shootout, see, see who does well. Because at the moment, I, I truly believe that Usman Khawaja is the next one in line. Well, I, I believe that he should be. Uh, in, the, in, the, in, in his home pitch in Australia, he's fantastic, you know. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's my opinion on it anyway, man. I think that's a good call, to be honest. Um, just rest him. Like, we know... Um, Stuart Broad and David Warner. It's a disastrous matchup for Warner. In in England, I think is that he averaged something like seven or eight like single figures because Broad just had his number. And I think Broad, knowing the fact that Warner's got an injury there, he's just going to target him even more. And I think you're right on that one. Um, take him out for the next test, put in Usman, and see who see who steps up because one of them has to do it. Usman. He's, he's a known quantity at this point. He's later in his career. We know roughly what we're going to get out of him. But he's in good touch at the moment. Um, and Marcus Harris is now the unknown quantity. Hasn't been in the side long. Um, I don't think this was his debut. Um, it could have been, but I don't think it was. Actually, no, it, it may have been, actually. No, anyway, ignore that. Yeah, he's that unknown quantity. If he could go out there and score a ton. Like we could very well see that from Harris, but as you were saying, yeah, let them let the boys fight it out, see who steps up to the plate, and have them backing up Warner in that third test for sure. For sure, man. And the reason why I say this is because you're not versing England's second string bowlers. You will literally be versing their first string, and these guys are proven like proven elite bowlers for many years, and Broad and Anderson. They, Anderson can swing both ways as well. So that's what makes it difficult. His line and length is perfect. And also, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really give you any cheap runs. So to, to verse England's two uh, first-string bowlers would, would definitely pro prove uh, if you should be in the big stage or not. So, that's that, yeah, that's, that's my opinion on it anyway. Just wanted um, – just a thought as well on um... – on England's fast bowlers, I think they may have lost a little bit of heart, to be honest. I was watching that um, Australia's first innings towards the end of that second day, and they just looked defeated. They weren't making inroads for a long time there. As we saw, Travis Head went out and belted them. I just think they, they lost heart, considering the fact that they're in the ashes, which... For Australian and New Zealand test teams, that's that's the pinnacle. That's the um, that's the grand final equivalent. Um, 
the fact that they lost Hart was, I think England should be very, very, very concerned about that. Maybe it was the, the heat and the humidity. Maybe they weren't correctly cl um, climatised to the Brisbane conditions. But yeah, they they looked defeated. Did you did you see that as well? I did, man. And this is the moment where Joe Root and Ben Stokes really needed to bring Hart back into the game for the English. Uh, Joe Root should have talked to his bowlers as well. Man, stay consistent. Don't give any cheap runs. And our time will come. Because like you said, Wokes, Robinson and Wood, their pace bowlers, along with Stokes, you know, they were just, Stokes looks out of sort, you know, but he's a different beast. But I'm talking about Wokes, Robinson and Wood, you know, they really need to, needed to talk to them. Even to Jack Leach as well, you know. Uh, potential, I, I think this could be their first Ashes in Australia for all most, most of these bowlers, except Stokes, you know. And root, but um, yeah, it was. Uh, if you were an English fan or supporter, yeah, you would be concerned, and you're definitely calling out SOS to your first string bowlers and Anderson and Broad because the one thing that Anderson and Broad, even though they won't, you know, wickets won't happen straight away, they know that if they stay consistent, eventually it will happen, and um, so to get them back on on deck would be a huge advantage for England because they've been there, done it before, you know. They've been in so many matches and experience helps. Experience helps, man. But I saw that too. Lack of heart. And But to me, man, I think you got to find heart, you know. If it's not going for you, you just got to find something inside and, and just go after it. Uh, Ollie Robinson, man, like to be honest, as a young, young guy, he – only had 58 runs, but he got three wickets, you know, eight maidens uh, in his 23 overs in that first innings. So it's pretty impressive considering he's only a young buck coming along. But to me, it's all down to captaincy, your vice captain, giving these guys, you know, a bit of a talking to. Yeah, because when, when you saw that they couldn't get head out, their heads were dropping pretty fast. So, yeah. Um, I was listening to the commentary on... Um on the game and they were talking a lot about um about roots captaincy and the big the big key that they mentioned over and over again was the fact that root often felt behind the game like if a if a ball was hit for four through an open gap he kind of moved a player there and it felt like he was letting the australian batsman dictate where he was putting putting the fielders not anticipating and not setting his field up to where um where it was most likely to to get wickets or to stop to stop runs it felt like he was behind the game and i definitely agree with them on that like his yeah his fielding positions were kind of out of whack and i think if you're if the game's coming to you as it was um like the australian batsmen were going out they were scoring very freely i think you drop your old game plan and you start thinking aggressive mate like throw up throw some more short balls um i think it was wood was bowling up close to the 150s like give him some more ball and tell him um like bounce these guys out of the game um put a little bit of fear back into them because especially travis head was just he went out there with intent and he scored viciously. He scored more than a runner ball. 
I think you need, if that's the position you're in, I think you need to flip the script and say, no, I'm not going to let the Australian batsman tell me what I'm doing. I'm going to let the batsman know what I'm all about. Did you, have you had any thoughts on that as well? I 100% agree with you. I didn't actually hear the commentators because I had it on mute uh, most of the day. But um, yeah, that's an interesting fact on Joe Root because I tend to agree. As soon as he's behind the game, he gets flustered quite easily. And then uh, the batsman dictates what happens after that. Uh, you've seen it in a lot of test matches at the moment that as soon as the batsman get it, gets on the front foot, he, he folds he, for some reason. Um, instead of, but I guess that comes down to, exp- it, it shows me this, dude, it shows me this. He doesn't trust his bowlers enough because if that's the case, the bowlers will dictate or, or have a talk to Joe and say, I believe that we should be doing this. Um, move the field there because then I'll bowl that line and consistency through that. And, you know, we will need these certain people in these positions. Uh, because I can guarantee you this. If Anderson was there, Anderson would dictate what's going to happen. If Broad was there, he would dictate what's happened. Root wouldn't get it. Get it. Like Root will have his input, but you know that those, those uh, experienced guys will, will dictate what's, what type of fields they want. And I guess he doesn't really trust trust the others just yet and it showed it showed 100 man like you said travis head was getting runs too easy and when you're ahead of the ahead of your balls at the end oh man it shows you a lot and like you said there wasn't enough short balls short balls takes a lot of stamina out of you i don't know if it's a fitness thing i don't know if they they could keep going but just a couple that's all he needed uh a couple of short balls during and over and just to make sure that he knows that like man mate if you want to hit you're going to hit me <laughs> like, or I'm yeah. hitting you. It's one of those, like you said, bring the fear back into the game. So like, oh man, a hundred plus, 140 plus balls are coming straight at your head. Like, what, what are you going to do? Duck, take the hit. What man? That scare them into making a mistake, but it didn't happen. And Australia, well, in that first innings, absolutely destroyed them. So that's my import, man. But uh, let's move on to the second innings because I want to talk about the second innings of England's batting. Mate, their they're openers, once again, let them down. But David Milan, David Milan comes in, you know, and batted well. Joe Root, the captain, came in, batted well. I truly believe that those two really got England back in the game. And uh, you could see a little bit there that Pat Cummings and Australia was a little bit concerned because they batted out the day. They, they did what they had to do, and they both were, were batting excellent, man. How did you see the second innings? Were you impressed by, uh, you know, uh, England batsmen during, uh, during that time? Absolutely. Like, it's the opposite to what we were saying just before about the, the bowling. Um, Milan and Root showed a lot of heart to, to get them in the position they were, and it looked like a test match was on batted out the day, they batted cleanly. England's openers, as you were saying, were exposed again. I think Burns has a few fundamental flaws in his in his game that are going to mean he's going to get out cheaply. In Australia in particular, with Stark, Burns has got a routine before he before the ball is bowled. A lot of batsmen do have them. Um, like they they are slightly outside of their normal position. And then as the bowl is running up, they step into their batting position or their batting spot and then they're steady and stay still, the heads up, watching the ball. 
But what Burns does is he moves around as the ball's coming in, but then he even makes that next step as the ball's being bowled. Like he steps his front foot across the stump. And with the ball from Mitchell Stark, we saw he steps his that, that front foot across too far and he exposes um, leg stump. In Australia, that's not going to work. The ball's coming at you far too quickly. The ball swings too much particularly with Stark, and I think Burns is going to have a lot of problems for the rest of this series if they choose to keep him. I think he's just going to keep getting out cheaply because he's just he's moving too much. I think Steve Smith's another example of someone who moves a lot, but even Steve Smith, once the bowler is releasing the ball, is still and set. He's not, he's not moving, his head's not moving, his legs are not moving. He does all of that beforehand, but then he makes that stop. Whereas Burns, he continues to keep moving and you just can't do that. And they, the second English opener, um, Ahmed, I believe his name is, he has another technique deficiency as well. He, I picked this up from the commentary and I kind of looked back into it. He holds his hands quite low on the bat. And I think that's to give him a little bit more shape. Um, to be able to manipulate the ball a little bit more potentially. But in Australia, manipulating the ball isn't the big the big factor, I don't think. The ball's moving that too quickly and it's too hard to control. And having his hands down that low, trying to do what he does in England is not going to work in Australia. But um, Milan and Root, who are two much, much, much more traditional style batsmen, they went out and proved that you can still, you can score runs in Australia. And they put it, put together a really good inning, the two of them. But as they fell, I think they lost eight wickets for 77-odd runs after Milan and Brute were gone. That rest of the English lineup needs to step up. Their number five needs to step up. Everyone needs to step up in that tail order. They've collapsed in the first innings. They collapsed in the second innings. They just can't let that happen, particularly going into Adelaide, which is a day-night test, which I think holding off a batting collapse is going to be absolutely crucial. Being a day-night test, that twilight period is, at least what I've noticed in the past day-night test, in that kind of twilight session where it's starting to cool down a little bit, maybe a little bit more moisture is coming down. That ball swings, and it swings viciously. If they, if England can't get their stuff together, I think they're going to they're going to be in for a long series. On that second innings as well with the Australian bowling lineup, our man Cameron Green went out and got three wickets. The guy's six foot five. He already bowls fast, and he's only twenty two years old. What a future he has! I think to get the 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 voodoo off his back by getting his first Test wicket. I think it's only up from here. What do you think on that? Yeah, I'm I'm just wondering um, is Cameron Green has been put in there as a all-round uh, all-rounder or has he been a, been put in there for as a bowler he's an all-rounder and he's a good all-rounder as well i think he can bat very very well didn't didn't get off in that first innings unfortunately which i think some people some people may forget that he can actually bat very well He's a genuine all-rounder, and I think he's one of the first, the first in a long time that Australia's produced. We've got Glenn Maxwell, who, I mean, he can bowl the ball, but bowling is not, he's not known for it. He can do it. Um, he's definitely more known for his batting. So I, would, I wouldn't say Maxwell's of the same quality as Cam Green is, but yeah, he's definitely a genuine all-rounder. And I think he's the first genuine all-rounder in a long time. Oh, that's um, very interesting to hear, man, especially uh, that because obviously his batting didn't really do the talking. Well, he's got a, a long series and um, it's pretty much when he gets the opportunity to bat again, 
he's got to he's got to really just prove that he can bat amongst the great or like against the best of the best in international cricket it'll be a hard task especially if those two two uh bowlers come back and anderson and broad considering they both swing you know um it's it's and it's a swinging type of <laughs> especially in adelaide on a day and night it's a swings so yeah it'll be interesting to see but man like you said cameron green awesome bowling though he's definitely proving why he's in there for his bowling and if he's an all-rounder it's a good start on his bowling career yeah batting when he gets the opportunity yeah definitely definitely so that brings us to that like you said man england collapsed majorly like they collapsed as soon as uh, milan and root got out it was the beginning of the end and there was no resistance and Australia just needed to get, I think, 30 runs or something or maybe even less. 20 even. Yeah, 20, I think. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Where it was pretty much only three and a half days, really, that you have to call. It was amazing performance by Australia, just considering, you know, the fight that Milan and Root put out. But unfortunately for them, they just, they got out. And as soon as they got out, it was over. Nathan Lyon, good old Gary, finished it off really. Yeah. Finished more off with uh the four wickets. Yeah. yeah, he got his uh so he got four wickets and that and just proved why he's part of that quartet, you know, especially at the back end of the days, you know, especially third day onwards. It's Nathan Lyon's game after that. Like he he is, he is good. He is good, and he also got 400-plus wickets, wasn't it? Something yeah. like that. Um, yeah. yeah, he passed his 400th wicket um, mm. that game. He didn't get any any wickets in that first inning, so I think he was there was a lot of um, lot of angst when he was bowling. Like I, you could tell he wanted that 400. As soon as it fell, his bowling went back to the normal standard it was. I think when he was out there searching for wickets, he wasn't doing... He wasn't in his normal rhythm yet to get, and then to, he got the wicket to then go on and get three more. I think was very impressive. He proves his class. He definitely, obviously, for a long time, has solidified his spot as Australia's number one spinner. And I think he's got a good, many good years left in front of him, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, as soon as he got it, he was the old Nathan Lyon again. Because I think it was that pressure of getting that 400th wicket. But as soon as he got it, you could see that, man, he was uh, back to himself and just dominated after that and got rid of the uh, tailwinders. So it was awesome to see. Yeah, and man. I think as well, just, a, um, just another point, um, I think Alex Carey behind the stumps replacing Tim Payne, he held his own. Um, I think he it was did. a very, very quality, um, quality performance from him, even though he didn't make many inroads with the bat. We were saying in the last one that wicket keepers need to be all-rounders in that sense they need to be able to bat as well even though his batting kind of fell down I think his work behind the stumps really um really showed he um he got I think he broke the record for the most um most catches in a debut I think he got seven or I think he got eight actually I believe he didn't let silly buyers go through there was a couple that just bounced above his head but it doesn't matter if Alex carries behind the stumps or LeBron James is behind the stump. Some of those buyers were going anyway. They were well, well above his head. And I think that's part of, just part of test cricket. That's going to happen. <laughs> I like the LeBron I, James reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if Alex Carey was 6'8", uh, was like LeBron, I still don't think he was getting some of those buyers. They were, they were going well above his head. But I, I think he proved, he proved his spot. And I wonder, I know there's a lot of talks about maybe if Tim Payne is going to come back, but... I honestly believe he may not win his spot back. 
I think Alex Carey is doing too much, doing too much and doing too well behind the stumps. Tim Payne may never get that job back. And I think I think it'd be a shame for Tim Payne, but I don't think it's a, a shame for the Australian team, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, coming from an Australian, it just says it all, really. And uh, all Alex Carey needs to do, put in a good performance in the batting, and it's his. Easy. And you never know. One day, he could potentially open with David Warner. You never know. You know, as a wicket keeper, keeper batsman. But I guess he's got to prove himself first that he can uh, bat at the international stage, you know. Uh, yeah. But like you said, behind the stumps, it was an amazing work considering those three bowlers that he has on his side. They all bowl extremely quick. And uh, sometimes you can make simple mistakes. He was fantastic behind the stumps. I think as well, I was watching the, um, I was watching the Australia A game with... Um, Joe, uh, Josh Ingalls behind the stumps. I think he's a quality, um, he's definitely a quality keeper as well, but Alex Carey is just going to keep putting those performances in, I think. And eventually it will be, because Alex Carey is, I think he's about 30 and Josh Ingalls is in his low, mid to low 20s. I think he will be, Josh Ingalls will be the future, but I think with Alex Carey in the form that he's in at the moment, I can definitely see him having that spot for the next five years. And then we eventually start flooding Josh Ingalls. And another thing I noticed with the with the Australia A game against the English second string, I'm, I've noticed a bit of a deficiency in Australia's spin bowling stock. They had just thinking more towards the future when eventually Lyon does retire. I think Australia is going to struggle to find a genuine red ball spinner who can replace him. Um, oh, wow. Mitch Swepson is the, um, he's a leggy and he, his performance was not phenomenal. He bowled a lot of overs. He went for a lot of runs, but he just wasn't getting the wickets. That could just be youth and potentially inexperience. But um, I found with his bowling, he, he would bowl maybe like four good quality balls in an over. But then there would just be those two loose ones that would go go for runs. And I think if you're trying to bowl spin at the top level, it needs to be consistently, it needs to be five, five very good balls or five pretty much spot on balls. And then you can allow the one slightly loose one. And that's kind of the nature of spin bowling, I guess. Anyway, you're going to go for more runs, but what you need is consistency and you need, you need to lock down one end in a sense they had um the guy who cleaned up the for australia a cleaned up the end of the um the end of the english second string batting order was actually um maddie renshaw who's a very much a part-time spin bowler ended up getting three or four wickets towards the end because swept um mitch swept and just wasn't getting them and maddie renshaw bowling bowling absolute pies as a part, very, very part-time bowler, ended up getting the wickets instead of Mitch Swepson, who should be theoretically getting the cleaning up the tail end with the more quality. So I, I can very much see going into the future a lot of difficulties trying to replace Nathan Lyon. You would never think that Australia would be struggling with Red Bull spinners. <laughs> and then I was just talking about depth, but I totally forgot, you know, it's also your spin bowling as well is so crucial because anywhere you go around the world, especially in the subcontinent, you need them. I can't believe it, but if Nathan Lyon does the, decide to retire, I think they're in a bit of a pickle then. Yeah, I think so too. And like you said about subcontinent bowling, you need, debatably, you need two. Um, I agree. 
India deploys a lot more than two. Like they have a lot more spinning all-rounders. All-rounders is probably a bit of a loose term for them. They're batsmen who can also spin with some quality. Like I know Marnus can spin the ball well and Marnus does take up a few a few of the in-between um, overs, particularly before the new ball is taken. He can spin the ball, but he's not. He's again that he's not a genuine all-rounder, but he's a batsman who can bowl spin. And we've got issues with I think Adam Zampa, as good as Zampa is with the white ball, as we saw in his BBL career, he's been very good in the World Cup. He was probably the best bowler. I would almost say he was the best bowler in the mm -hmm. whole World Cup. He doesn't get picked for red ball cricket at all. Like I think he even struggles to make it into a shield. I think he plays for New South Wales. He struggles to make that shield team just because he's not a red ball spinner. Crazy. As good as he is, he just he's not a red ball spinner. Wow. Interesting time for Australia then. Really interesting. Hopefully um, we get Gary for another four or five years at least. <laughs> and we can fix our problems in the meantime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, th I think you definitely need it. Need, need it for sure. <laughs> oh, wow. Anyway, man, bro, we come to the end of our podcast. Just before we leave, though, the second test between uh, Australia and England and the Ashes test uh, down at Adelaide, uh, Adelaide Oval. Man, okay, I, I presume you're going with Australia, but I'll leave it to you, man. Yeah, obviously going for Australia on this one. Um, I think the batting lineup is going to get it done. As we've as we've said, it, even if we don't have a Warner Warner up top, like we like we were talking about earlier, running an Usman and um, a Marcus Harris up top, even if those guys fail to make runs, we've got Labashane, we've got Smith, we've got Head, we've got Green. All of these guys can bat genuinely, and I think they're going to get the job done on the batting end. And our bowling lineup is world class. I know you're a New Zealand fan, but I think we've got the best bowling, uh, quick, quick bowling lineup in the world. Hazelwood, Stark, Cummings. I think even without a Hazelwood, we've got um, we've got Mitchell Nessa, Michael Nessa. Sorry, he's another quick bowler that can get the job done for sure and replace Hazelwood if he's injured. Um, we've got Cameron Green, who's going to get the job done, I think, and Lyon as well. I think Australia is going to clean this one up, even when, even if England has brought Anderson back. I think it's, I think it's all over, and Australia is going to come at it with a two-zero lead. Awesome, man! That's uh, yep, as expected. Australia, for myself, I think Australia should get the job done, but the bowlers of Australia is up there, definitely up there. I agree, man. Even uh, I'm a Kiwi. <laughs> Through and through, uh, they're definitely up there. I'll say they're probably the second best uh, pace bowling unit because uh, obviously, you know, New Zealand, the uh, awesome foursome together as a unit, as a team. I mean, those guys, uh, those guys are right up there and they're proven Test World Championship if I have to uh, <laughs> solidify their position as the number one in the world, quartet in the world uh, for pace bowling. But uh, <laughs> yeah. so any last words, bro, before we end it? Um, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to... Um all the other programs we've got um on the podcast big fan of um big fan of leo our boxing expert um massive shout out to him i think his analysis is top notch massive shout out to yourself and hoons for um for really keeping us together and keeping us online when we're doing these podcasts and obviously to pat for his um exceptional ufc knowledge um to any of the listeners out there 
even if you're a casual fan of um of the ufc or boxing definitely go check it out that's my shout out oh awesome much appreciated brother but like like yourself man um a shout out to yourself and, and the cricket knowledge and i know that you love other sports as well so just stay tuned people because we will bring out other sports as well um or it, it doesn't even have to be sports so yeah. guys then we have come to the end of our podcast thank you very much this is the cricket talk on wtw what the fuck i don't know podcast dub t dub uh, our merchandise will come out one day. I'm telling you right now, you're going to love it. We've already got people uh, looking into it. But until then, guys, from me and Glenn, thank you. Thank you guys for listening to WTW. What the fuck are wrong with podcast? It's been enjoyable to have you guys along in this journey with us. So follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. And you know what? More importantly, follow us on Spotify and click on that bell so you get the notifications when our next podcast are out. Until then, see you on the next podcast. Later.